Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. Um, if you guys are following along, grab your Bibles out and um, we'll be going through Jude. It says this, it says, Jude, a servant of Christ and brother of James, to those who are called beloved in God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that, that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you were once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe, and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he is kept in eternal chains, under gloomy darkness until the judgment of that great day just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which will likewise indulge in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desires, serve as an example undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like matter, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts, and they are feeding themselves. No. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts, as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by the winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his holy ones, to execute judgment on all and convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and all of the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are the grumble, grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud-mouthed boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers, following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Saviour, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority 
before all time and now and forever. Amen. Thanks for that. How are we feeling? <laughs> Good. Good to see you guys. I'm Trent. I'm one of the pastors here at Hills Baptist. I'm, at, I'm based more at Mount Barker. Um, and you, some of you would have seen me around here before. Last time I was here was about more, three months ago. It was Easter. We did Passover. Yeah. Jogging some memories. Love it. So I'm back again and I'm excited. But this time I brought uh, my uh, wife, April, over in the corner and my two kids, Maxana and Amos. Um, yeah, for those who don't know me, I thought it'd be useful to kind of get to know me a little bit before we get into it. I'm an avid basketballer. I re- get really into that. I'm a skateboarder. That's how I spend my downtime. I'm also really like tabletop, like D&D and other board games. But more importantly, I'm a real passionate Christian. And I really, really love the Bible. And I'm really in like tuned into church history an avid Baptist, um, and on this journey of faith with the rest of you, a flawed human, but like giving glory to God and have been a pastor at, um, at Mount Barker for almost six years now. And it's been a crazy, crazy journey. But let's get into it anyway. So we're in Jude, and I promised April that I'd make this reference, so I'm going to do it. Hey, Judas... Don't make it bad. Now, some of you may get that reference. It's a Beatles song. Others of you might not. But it's pretty outdated. But did you notice that if you put Judas there instead of Jude, the meaning really changes, right? Don't make it bad. Interesting. I'm putting this out because it's actually the same name. Jude and Judas and Judah are all the same name, but it hits different. And the reason is this, is we've forgotten so much about our church history. We've forgotten so much about Jude. It's the second last book of the Bible, and we just kind of step over it because it's one chapter, right? We kind of like leave it in the sidelines because it's difficult, as we just read. It's, it's like confusing. We don't know what's really going on. And so then we just kind of don't remember it. So much so that now when we think of Jude, we think of maybe bad movie stars, like Jude Law. Um, Yeah, I mean, (laughs) or we think of Beatles songs. But that isn't how it's always been. That isn't how it's always been. We are missing an amazingly deep and beautifully written letter. And its ending is one of the most popular and amazing ways to end a church service. It's called a doxology, and it's been used for millennia. It's just crazy how much we've left behind. So tonight I wanted to come and just wanted to remind us of the central message of this letter, and that's this, contend for the faith. Don't stray from the foundation of faith and build yourself up in the faith. So contend, don't stray, and build all for Jesus. Let me pray. Lord, I'm humbled here this morning, as we all are, in front of your word. Lord, may you speak today. As I am not Jesus, but may instead we see and hear Jesus. May we point to that. May anything that gets in the way 
just fall to the ground. And may your spirit guide us in truth. Amen. So, who was Jude? There's a few candidates, like most of the other people we kind of know. But the most logical, the most likely, and the most supported is that Jude is the brother of James, the one who wrote the letter James, which we have in our Bible. And he is the younger half-brother, depending on how you want to define that, of Jesus. Right? He gave his life to Jesus, his brother, which he would have grown up with, after Jesus died and was resurrected. Um, And as I mentioned before, Jude is the Latin anglicized version of his name, which is really in Greek is Judas and in Hebrew is Judah. So the reason why I mention this is because we do this all the time. James is actually Jacob. And I know that we're not trying to do it on purpose. And I know we're trying to like wrestle in our language. But we do something when we do this. And I also understand that we need to be clear that this isn't Judas Iscariot. Like I get that. But what ends up happening is we strip it of its context. We remove it from its history. And it's really a shame when we do this. We forget and then we don't remember what's happening around this letter. You see, Jacob, the leader of the Jerusalem church, James, who wrote the letter, was martyred in 62 AD, killed. So the leadership of the church in Palestine was like lost. But it was taken up by Jesus' brothers. And there was three of them, Joseph, Judah, and Simon. Reminder, Judah is Jude. And these brothers are all mentioned by Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, where he legitimates their style of ministry, which was while they were traveling around in Syria-Palestine, they were together with their wives and probably kids doing ministry to those churches. They just kept on going, and they kept the church of Jerusalem going. And this period of history for the church is brutal. They were oppressed and persecuted by both their Jewish brothers and sisters and the Romans. So they were fighting from this massive outside attack. They were being killed. They were being driven out of towns. They were unpopular. The church was not a powerhouse. So they were dealing with all that type of stuff from outside coming in. And then we have this letter and it's revealed that there's also attacks from within. There's some people that have come into the church teaching heresy. Some people that are threatening the church with incorrect belief and were corrupt leaders. And it's into this situation that Jude writes with the other missionaries around him asking the church to contend for the faith. Now, importantly, when we think of faith, we think of belief. But that's not what Jude's meaning here. For Jude, it's different. He uses faith like this, that there's a body of truth that stems from God's word, both in the Old Testament scriptures and through Jesus as God's word made flesh and come into the world for us. And it's important because the church has truthfully carried this message through the apostles, through the generations. And it's this is what Jude means when he says faith. And it's in this letter that that contention is revealed. And it actually is successful. In church history, we'll see that later on, after Jude's dead, 
he gets martyred as well. His grandsons would stand before the Roman Emperor Domitian at the end of the first century, and their testimony and witness puts an end to the persecution in the area. For good, well, until it comes again later. And also, in that process of witnessing to Jesus in the gospel, they evangelize the family of the emperor. And his wife and kids all give their lives to Jesus. So it works. <laughs> what, what Jude writes and the testimony which, uh, of many others really assisted the growth of the church throughout history. So there's something important here. It's not just something which we can just throw away. So let's get into what this contention really is. What are we contending with this faith? See, he starts off this letter with his greeting and then mentions that he was led away from writing about salvation because he needed to address this important issue. He, gets, he had this plan and then God's Holy Spirit leads him somewhere else. So we need to read this letter, not as like boring or just like in like this position of woe, but with this essence of importance, this urgency, right? It's a very short message, which means that he wanted to get it out. It needed to happen quickly, and there was like a time frame that needs to happen. So in that sense, he has this rallying cry in verse 4. It's for those which follow Jesus, and he asked them to contend for the faith. Something that we'll see very quickly as we continue to read is that there's so many references to Old Testament, right? Heaps. There's actually also references to New Testament as well. And this, this contending to the faith is linked to the letters of Peter as well as to the letters of Paul. And it's here that link is in 1 Timothy 6.12. It says, Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold to the eternal life to which you were called, which you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. This is what contending is. It's fighting this good fight of faith. And then what happens when you're opposed? What happens when people come along? And if we go to it in this, the verse 22, it says, By following Jesus' example, be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. And to other, others, show mercy mixed with fear of God, in brackets. That's what that is implying there. That's what contending means. And why is that so important? Because corruption has come and will always come when the gospel is doing its work. Jude's response is to say to the church, don't stray from the foundation of faith. Don't stray from the truth. Don't stray from what we've learnt through our scriptures. And he does this by making references to the very foundation which he's calling us to. He has so many Old Testament references and to other Jewish works of the era. There's 16 direct Old Testament references, as well as other allusions from Scripture. So I can't go into all of them, because each one of them takes like five minutes to kind of unpack. But that is some homework for you. Go, literally the Bible Project N video, Google it, right? And it gives you the references. Go and read them. And then go, oh, it's really fun, actually. <laughs> it's really good. 
And this is how he does it. It's huge. This is the body of truth that Jude is asking the church to like grapple with, to latch onto. And he does it by referencing that. And who are we, if, if Christians, if we aren't holding to the truth of God? We need to know the Bible as Christians. That is our foundation. It's given, of course, through God and Jesus, like, yes. But it is consistent and always revealed through Scripture. There is no contradictions, despite what other people would say. It works. <laughs> and we need to do this both by ourselves through reading, but also through reading as a church so we don't fall into unhelpful territory. This is where we find our rock. This is where the whole narrative of Scripture across from Genesis to Revelation is revealed. It's what keeps us steady. And it is perilous when you move away from that. There is real danger there for both yourself, for your communities, for your way of life. It's just really intense. So let me go into one of these references just to show you how crazy Jude is. He does this in an amazingly eloquent way, which works kind of in English, but it's better in the Greek, I'm told. I can't actually read it. Other people can. Join me in, in verse 12. We'll, we'll go from the, the B bit. So shepherds who feed only themselves, their clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, Autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame. Wandering stars for whom blanket, blackest darkness have been reserved forever. Pardon me. Whew. Heavy, right? This is his description of those false teachers, those corrupt teachers. Now, I'm going to spill this out. He does four references here. Three Old Testament references. The first is from Ezekiel 34, and that's the shepherd's bit. Then he goes to Proverbs 24, which is the clouds bit. And then he goes to Isaiah 57, which is the chaotic waves bit. One, two, three. All right, in like two verses. And then really, really interestingly, before he mentions Enoch by name, he quotes from Enoch. When he talks about the blackest darkness forever, that's a reference from there. So he, for, he like preludes where he's about to go, right? He's like, I'm about to go here, guys. And then he goes there, right? You with me? That's how deep and rich this scripture is. It's not something to be discarded. I encourage you to get into that. But this kind of leads me to where some people kind of get a bit thrown. Judas, Judas and Judah and Jude quotes from two Interesting books. The first one is First Enoch. Who's actually heard of First Enoch? Give me a give me a hands up. Okay, it's about fifty percent. Who's heard of the Testament of Moses? Sarah, <laughs> a couple. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So these are the two books which he quotes from, and we're like, what do we do with that? Right? <laughs> we're feeling a bit like unsure. This honestly should not throw us. These two books are just other Jewish literature which was steeped in the culture of the day. They were never really considered core scripture. If you want to talk canon with me later, we can. Not important right now. 
But the thing is, is that Judas speaking to the churches which he was ministering to. So they knew this stuff, right? They knew the Bible really well, otherwise he wouldn't be quoting it like he is. And he knew these extra things as well, which they would have understood. It's like me referencing the outdated Beatles song, right? Most of you kind of know what I'm talking about. It's the same for them. They would be knowing exactly what this is. And we don't need to worry too much about, oh, all the ramifications of if the testimony of Moses is, is scripture or not. Let's not forget that Paul in Acts 17 quotes like Greek philosophers for truth. The point is, is that you can quote something. There can be truth in something, right, which you see in your culture revealed through the Holy Spirit that you can use for the gospel. It doesn't mean that the rest of it is fine, right? They don't need to then take all those other stuff. But these quotes are really actually quite helpful. Yeah? I don't want to go into them because you need to do a whole bunch of extra stuff. Come talk to me later. But they're really, really useful for this point. So this goes into why is he doing all these quotes? What's the point? He just mentioned about these false teachers. Why is he then quoting all this Old Testament stuff? And he does this for three reasons. He does it to allude to and to counter what the corrupt teachers were teaching and doing. The other way which he's doing is he's making the statement that the gospel, the word of God, will always be opposed throughout history and the enemy will always try to corrupt it. He gives warnings from the Old Testament and then he gives warnings from Jesus and then from Peter and then from Paul and then from John. So like, these warnings are consistent. We are always going to face opposition. Always as the church. That is what we are called to. We are called to a difficult life. I'm sorry if that's the first time you've heard that. <laughs> Being a Christian is not easy. The last reason which he gives is he gives a way to identify those heresies and corrupt teachers. Now the reason that he does this is because our scriptures are consistent. And so if there's other teaching around us, it will be consistent with the Old and New Testament. That's how we test the spirits, as Paul says. It needs to be consistent. And so clearly there's an integrity issue with these false teachers. They're not being consistent in, their, in what they're teaching. It's not lining up. And the other aspect is, is if what we're teaching is actually truth, we can live by it, right? If Jesus is the truth, if there's truth in the gospel message that he died and rose again and our forgiveness is found in him and we live not in shame and condemnation but in grace out of generous response for what God has done and in that there is freedom and duty, if that works, you can live like that. If there's truth... You can do that. And I would say that the testimony across the, across the centuries is that that works. It is doable. The truth is evident because you can work and live it out. It's not something that you can just say and then not actually do. It's like I gave an, an illustration earlier um, at youth that if I think this, that a chair, if I believe and if I trust in a chair that can take my weight and I don't sit in it, you're definitely not going to listen to what I'm saying. You're probably not going to sit in that chair. 
if what I'm saying matches up with what I'm doing, there's integrity. And that is the call of the life of a Christian. It is integrity in the foundation of faith, the body of truth as revealed through God's word. These other Old Testament references, they also reveal a couple of things about these false teachers. These Old Testament references really give to the heart of the problem, which is rebellion. They want to rebel against God. They want to reject God's word and and authority. And not only that, they want to pull others down in their corruption. They want to get other people in so they can kind of grow in that. One of the other aspects that they have is that they're definitely some type of sexual immorality happening alongside this. This makes a whole bunch of sense in the Greek world. Makes a whole bunch of sense in our world. They were rejecting the Christian sexual ethic, potentially to the point of sexual abuse. Not only that, they were involved in gluttony, greed, arrogance, misuse of money, and general pleasure-seeking. And they were justifying it by using grace as a permission. They were saying, which is a whole bunch of things which Paul addresses later, that like, oh, we've been forgiven. I can kind of do whatever I want. It makes so much sense that the brother of James has a go at this. Go and read James. It makes so much sense that, that he's just like, no, this is not how the life of a Christian works. And in doing so, they deny the moral implication of the gospel and thus deny Jesus himself. We as our Christians are to become little Christs. That's what Christian means. We are to follow Christ, become like him. And that means that we change. It means that there is a difference made and that our actions and what we do changes. So if we deny any moral stuff or we think we could just keep on doing and living in sin, we have not understood Jesus. Yes, there's grace, which covers everything, absolutely. But that is not a permission to keep on sinning. Turn from sin. Stay true to the foundation of faith. Not only that, there's some weird spiritual stuff going on here as well. There's claims that they've received revelations from God through dreams, and that authority overrides the Scriptures. That gives them permission to do stuff. There's also some weird stuff about angels and especially fallen angels. This is where the Enoch and the Testament of Moses stuff kind of come in. Enoch deals with the rebel host of heaven, the sons of God, and how they rebelled against God in Genesis 6 and all this other type of stuff. Talk to me later. And the Testament of Moses deals with how do you deal with the Satan, the devil, You don't tell the devil what to do. You let the Lord rebuke. Very interesting and actually important. This all this stuff has kind of led to a lot of people speculating that there might be some Gnosticism going on. So I'm going to explain this because this leads all of this stuff, all of these heresies, all of these weird teachings happens now. We might think it's back there 2,000 years ago. Nah. I think we can just look around at the state of our church across the last hundred years, not this church, generic church, and we can see that there's an integrity issue. We can see that there's greed. 
we can see that at times there's gluttony (laughs) and there's definitely sexual immorality. These are not ancient problems. These are problems for us. And so these weird spiritual things, even though they're way back then, are still here. There's many different types of Gnosticism at this stage. It hasn't been like formalized. But really what it's talking about is it's saying that anything that's flesh, anything that's body, anything that's physical is evil. And anything that's spiritual is all good. Is all good. Notice that both of those things is not what the gospel is on about. Both of those are anti-gospel. Yep, Jesus is incarnate. He became flesh. He came to redeem flesh. We are lived an embodied experience. And not all spiritual forces are good. The Satan is real. We are in a battle. We just happen to be on the winning side. And we know there's no power in the enemy other than what we give it ourselves. Do not fall into temptation, but rebuke the devil by handing him over to Jesus and the Lord. Here you go. God, deal with that. We don't need to. If you fight him on your own strength, you will lose. (laughs) Hand it over to Jesus. That's what literally the angel Michael did in that reference. There's other weird stuff which is happening in our churches. Signs and wonders. Have you heard about adding to the gospel? If you're saved, that you will have signs and wonders, speaking in tongues, other spiritual gifts. Otherwise, you're not Christian. Not there. (laughs) Other things. Have you heard that when you die, your soul will go up into the sky and there's heaven will be? That is Gnosticism. That is not what Scripture says. Our new creation will be embodied. It will be physical. It will be the new heaven and new earth here together with God. Not in some disembodied floating soul state. (laughs) That's not what our gospel is. Prosperity gospel. There's no truth in that. There's no such thing as health and wealth. Look at Jesus. (laughs) He died and is poor. (laughs) Like, there's more. I I don't want a tangent. I'm trying not to tangent. (laughs) I'm going to bring it back. Bring it back. All that saying is there's all this other stuff out there. Right? We need to stay grounded in our foundation of faith that is the Word of God. And we only can do that if we know it. Do not deviate from that. Don't stray from the foundation of faith. This stuff, that, that spiritual stuff, those incorrect teachings are dangerous. They lead to unhealthy stuff. And so Jude brings it together. But he says, instead of all that weird stuff, discard that. Instead, build yourself up in the faith. Build yourself up. And he does this, he asks us to do this by prayer. We are called to be temples of the Holy Spirit, embodied physical temples of the Holy Spirit, which is in each of us if you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And if we are doing that, 
We are called to be constantly in prayer. We are called to be walking in step with the Spirit. It's sometimes really weird. When you're around church long enough, you'll hear these people, I'm not really a prayerful person. Like, I know what you're saying. I get it. This is a thing from uh, Nick Tui, one of our other pastors. But it just doesn't make sense. Prayer is the engine room of faith, right? It's what we're called to be and walk in. You can't not be a prayerful Christian. It's like saying I'm a Christian which doesn't go to church. Like it just doesn't really work. In this way, he calls the church to integrity. If if we believe that we have uh, access to our holy, all-powerful God in his triune nature, within the Holy Spirit within us, and we don't pray with him, what are we saying about what we believe? Ah, I just, you know what, I'm dealing with all this stuff and it's really hard, but I'm not going to turn to the one who can actually do anything about it. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. There's an inconsistency if that is your life. Walk in prayer. Walk with the Spirit. Build yourself up in the faith. It's no mistake that he talks about being built up because he just spoke about this foundation of faith. The foundation of faith is the Word. So build yourself on that in prayer. That is what Jude is asking for us to do. So that leads me to our, like, so what? I kind of get some aspects about Jude. I've got some work to do maybe when I get home. Where does, what do I kind of leave from here? And those are really actually my main points. For those who are established in the faith, those who kind of have been walking with Jesus, contend for the faith. Fight that good fight. Be people of mercy, bringing others to Christ through the power of the gospel. That is our call, to make disciples who make disciples and to the ends of the earth. That is what Jesus has left us with. It's his mission. And if you call Jesus Lord, you're part of that. So let's do that. That's what this church is on about. They had an eldership retreat Saturday, yesterday. And they listed all the stuff which the church is doing. It's more than what Nick just shared in the notices. It was like many, many, many pages right? The church, this church, is active and doing stuff. Come join us. Contend with us, yeah? Contend as you join Bible study, as you get involved in the church. It's a good place to be. For those who may be new to faith, are still searching, or are still being established themselves, get to know the foundation of faith, and don't stray from it. Know your Bibles. Read your Bibles. It's hard work, I know. (laughs) Uh, If you go through, like, if you start at the start and kind of get through, it's really rough. I'm with you. It's okay. Come do it with other people. Come do it with Nick, with me. People love reading the Bible here. We read it uh, a while ago where we read the whole Bible, like, aloud in this church from this spot. Let's read the Bible. Let's get into it. Let's know what we're talking about. Let's be established in that so that we can breathe it just like what Jude does. So we understand, oh, I know these references. I get it. We don't have to look them up (laughs) because we're living it and we're breathing it out. 
And for those who maybe have questions or doubts or have strayed or are even completely new, that's great. Question. I want you to do that because I think that Jesus has the truth. Search for Jesus and it works. Keep on bringing it back to that, back to our word. And for those which are like in Christ, those who call Christ Lord, which is most of us here have some relation to Christ, otherwise you wouldn't be in this building. Build yourself up in the faith by prayer. This is essential for Christians. It's what our call is to walk in step with the Spirit. It's how we empower ourselves, not with our own power, but with the Holy Spirit, the Almighty God within us. We would be silly not to. So I'm going to pray. And then we're going to respond in worship. And we're going to sing a couple of songs. And then that'll lead into another time, which Nick will deal and let us inform us later. But please, contend. Please, ground yourself in that foundation of faith. Don't stray. Please build yourself. Lord, Jude is a challenging but powerful message, which has done amazing work in your kingdom. May we not let it lie off to the side forgotten. May we not discard it as unimportant, but may we feel its urgency. May we take it to heart and may we know your power. May we know the difference that your life makes when we respond to it. May we know the gospel of Christ and live in grace, peace and freedom. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.